the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, December 3rd. Going to keep today's podcast on the shorter side as we have a bunch of Cracked Rackets content out there right now for you listeners. For all of you who enjoy yourselves a little bit of college tennis, our college contender series continuing today as we preview the number seven team in our Cracked Rackets ITA preseason rankings. That team, of course, the Texas A&M Aggies, and that preview content means you can go to our website, read Matt's Koyak's breakdown of the Aggies, where they left things off in 2020, what the roster looks like this year, all of those specifics. Of course, you can hear Matt, Chris, and I talk and give our thoughts on the Aggies heading into this season. We think they're a team with about as high of a floor as any team across the country. When you bring back the depth, the experience of a Vashro, a Habib, an Aguilar at the top of your lineup, good things are going to happen for your program. And so, of course, the three of us give our takes where we think they're going to end up in their conference, where they are comparatively to some of the other top teams across the country. And then, of course, you can hear Chris and I on the Cracked Interviews podcast speak with Texas A&M head coach Steve Denton. Of course, Coach Denton may be the most accomplished pro tennis player in all of men's college tennis, a former Grand Slam champion, number two doubles player in the world, top 15 singles player. Of course, played some mixed doubles with Billie Jean King during his career as well. So, uh, of course, if you are a college tennis fan, go check out any of that content. If you are a 70s, 80s pro tennis fan, maybe you'll enjoy that conversation with Steve Denton as well. So be sure uh, to go check that out. Again, you can find all of that content on the website, crackrackets.com. If you missed yesterday, the launching of our brand new Next Gen 2.0 series, where we're going to talk about some of the young stars emerging uh, on the ATP Tour. And as we mentioned, I'll talk about it a little bit at the end of today's pod, why we're focusing on on the next gen 2.0 why we're you know ready to move on from the first generation of next gen players those 96s through i don't know about 2000s all of the people who we've seen play that year end event in Milan want to make the rankings case for why the next gen is the now gen if you look at the way the top 100 top 200 top 50 top 30 top 10 all have broken down so we'll talk about that a little bit on today's podcast as well and then of course there are a few challengers going on right now a couple in Brazil and Portugal this week. I'll give you guys a quick update on those events to start today's show. And of course, the reason we are able to do these shows day in, day out here at Crack Rackets, because of the support we get from you phenomenal listeners, because of the support we get from our incredible Patreon family, but of course, also because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com, use the promo code CR15, go to Aerobar.com, use the promo code CRACKED30, new promo code code for you cracked 30 to get 30 percent off your order of aero bars that's how you know loving they are towards you cracked rackets family they appreciate all the support all of you have continued to give them already they wanted to offer an additional 15 percent off for the holidays so cracked 30 the new promo code there be sure to go check it out to get 30 percent off your orders and of course look good feel good play good midwest sports aero bar Cracked Rackets. All right, with that in mind, let's talk first about the results we have going on this week because there are still a couple of Pro Tour events to cap off this 2020 season. We'll start again with that challenger in Brazil this week. Thus far, nothing too crazy going on. Number one seed Roberto Carbeas Benia escaping upset at the hands of young Vita Capriva. It was Carbeas Benia, 4 6, 6 3, 7 5. He advances on the clan. I mean, Carbeas Benia just makes so many extra balls, right? 
just does such a good job of keeping that ball in play, of changing direction, of making it so that he's a tough out. And, you know, looking back at the rankings over the past five years, because Roberto Carbeas Benia, I believe, was born, I want to say 1991, 1992 range. I'll look it up now. Carbeas Benia born 1993, only 27 years old. And he has been around the top 100 for about seven, six, seven years now. Now, some of that time he has spent in the top 100, of course, his career high, number 72, coming back in 2018. But just such a tough out is Carbeas Benia. Obviously, Clay being the surface that he prefers the most. Very good victory for him. And again, uh, after he knocked off Shapovalov, what was that, second round, third round of the French Open, he has really started to build some momentum for himself. You look in the live rankings right now, Carbeas Benia currently sitting at number 102. So right on the precipice of the top 100, but pretty much guaranteeing himself a spot in the main draw of the Australian Open. And again, that's exactly where you want to be, getting into main draws of slams, locking in that huge first-round paycheck, win or lose. Pretty sure Roberto Carbeas Benia can factor that Australian Open check, assuming we have it, uh, into uh, you know his 2021, I suppose, earnings because he has put himself where he wants to be. And by the way, speaking of the Australian Open, there are a couple of other non-on-the-court storylines going on that I've said I will get back to. I haven't forgotten about them. There's the rebranding of the WTA. There's what we've learned about the Australian Open, the fact that it really does seem like it's going to be held in February now and not January and the overlapping dates between the prospective Australian Open weekend and some of the other tournaments. Rotterdam, I believe Dubai, Doha, all in the mix for being canceled. Of course, the the uh, Tennis Australia continues negotiations with the government of Australia as to what they are going to allow these players to do if they're going to allow the players to come into the country. It sounds like that answer is going to be yes. It sounds like they're going to have to quarantine for two weeks, probably not train, but they're trying, you know, Craig Tilly, Tennis Australia, trying to negotiate whether they're going to be allowed to train during that time, maybe in a special, you know, specified quarantined off area. Uh, All of these things still up in the air. And of course, for the WTA rebranding, there's just, you know, there's more people I want to hear of. There are more facts I want to accumulate. And tonight I'm actually going to be a part of a no challenges remaining roundtable. Of course, no challenges remaining the podcast of our friend Ben Rothenberg. It's going to be me, Ben, Tumaini Kariel, and Reem Abulail in terms of importance. Probably should have started with Reem. Probably could just flip that order entirely, go Reem, Tumaini, Ben, myself, uh, in terms of most to least important. But I'm just going to sit there. I'm going to absorb what they're saying. I'm going to hear what they're learning on the ground, hear what they're hearing from their sources. And then I'm going to come back to you with what I am hearing from my sources as well as that information on tomorrow's podcast. So tomorrow is the day I'm going to talk about WTA rebranding, talk about what we can expect to see at the start of 2021, that and so much more. So be on the lookout uh, for that on t- for that topic on tomorrow's mini break podcast. Of course, again, today where we are at at this challenger in Brazil, we have half or I believe uh, three-fourths of our quarterfinal field set. It's going to be Carbeas Benia taking on number five seed Mohamed Safawad, who has two really good three-set wins over Barrios Vera and Tomas Bellucci. Bellucci, obviously such a tough out on the clay. Barrios Vera, a guy we've talked about a lot here down the home stretch. Talked about him a ton on our GSP Aces of the Day. He's played really well uh, here at the end of 2020, so that's a good win uh, in the end for Safwad. In terms of our other players advancing, Alejandro Tabilo knocks off Sabeth Vild in his first round match. He then gets a withdraw from Orlando Luz, uh, so he is into the quarterfinals where he will take on last week's champion, Felipe Melagini Rodriguez Elvez. Melagini Rodriguez Elvez, a 
four and four winner over Emilio Gomez. And again, Melagenia Rodriguez of as feels worth repeating. Uh, one of the many talented youngsters on tour, 22 years old, has already had a lot of success in doubles. I believe he's top 125 in the world in doubles right now. In singles, still top 250, working his way up a little bit slower. But I mean, the talent is undeniable. If you haven't, go watch him play. You can find the highlights on YouTube. You can find them on livestream.com slash ATP, wherever you want to look. Uh, he has been really fun here down the home stretch. Of course, your other matchup is going to be number three seed Fasundo Bagnus taking on number 17 Francisco Serendolo. Feels worth noting you look at these matches. Only Melgini, or Melgini and Tabilo, but Tabilo knocked out the number two seed. Uh, those are your only two unseeded players in the quarterfinals thus far. And I mean, for Melgini again, he was a winner last week. So, uh, not too bad. Not too bad. In terms of your matchups yet to finish, Daniel Galan taking on Sebastian Baez. Xiao Menez taking on Dimitri Popko. Uh, those matches should finish up here on Thursday, recording this Thursday afternoon. Uh, so be on the look, and I'm sure we will talk about them more tomorrow as well. But really fun set of matches for us down the home stretch, of course. That is not our only challenger, as I mentioned at the Challenger in Portugal this week. We're playing on an indoor clay court. Feel like it's always fun. How rare is it that we get to see indoor clay? That, I would like to see more of indoor clay. I would like to see more carpet in our day-to-day lives. Just a diversity of surfaces. This is something Jamie and I talked about on our new show, The Deciding Point. I think this was one of our week one topics, or maybe it was week two. Should there be an indoor hardcore slam? I say yes. If you're playing... Maybe not a third, but maybe a fifth of the year on indoor hardcourts. Why not try and figure out who the best indoor hardcourt player is in the world? I would say do it, but, you know, I'm me. Anyways, uh, looking at the events in Portugal, the indoor hardcourt, some fun results thus far. We don't have that many seeds uh, remaining in the draw. We have on the top, it's Arnabaldi taking on Adjud, uh, uh, excuse me, Adjudukovic. Arnabaldi, three-set winner over uh, Ferreira Silva to advance to the quarterfinals. Adjud, uh, I'm butchering this, lead these in Adjudukovic. Uh, I butcher that, I, I apologize. A three-set winner over Arthur Rinderneck. Of course, below them, we do have two seeds. It's going to be the number three seed, Joseph Kovalik, taking on number eight seed, Carlos Taberner. You've got Zapata Morales, the young Spaniard, advancing to the quarterfinals, where he will take on number four seed, uh, Henry Laxanen, and then Kimmer Kopenhans, a withdrawal from Trungaletti, but he'll take on number two seed, Pedro Sosa. So I suppose there are plenty of seeds still remaining in Portugal, and I know that is some really fun action if you want to hear more about that. Go check out our friend David Gertler. He follows all of the action on tennis Twitter all day long. He's at uh, Tennis Blogger One or All About Tennis. Uh, of course, again, if you want to go read more from him on our Next Gen 2.0 series, you can go find he and I sharing our takes, uh, so answering five questions about young Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, the first player we discuss in the series. I think that is a really, really fun article, also a very fun podcast, which of course, hopefully all of you heard yesterday here on this mini break feed. But with that in mind, just quickly want to talk about what we are up to here at Cracked Rackets over the next few weeks. Again, uh, we've got Got Next Gen 2.0. You're going to hear those uh, 
podcast with me and David every Wednesday here on this mini break feed. Of course, we will begin to shift into off-season mode, doing some other really fun stuff across our uh, podcast, our College Contender Series. You can read Matt's article each week on our website. You can also uh, listen to Matt, Chris, and I talk about each of these teams on the Great Shot Podcast. You can hear Chris and I interview all these coaches on the Cracked Interviews Podcast as well, of course. Uh, We've got some other really cool things. Judson Wall working on some fun pieces. Vance Romani as well. I know all of you listeners will enjoy. Of course, we've got plenty of fun guests in the queue too, so be on the lookout for all of our content, which you can follow on our website, CrackedRackets.com. All right, last thing for you. Just want to run some statistics for you when looking at where we are at since the way the ATP rankings have changed since 2015. Because if you look at the year-end rankings in 2015 compared to the year-end rankings now, you will see the generational shift we keep speaking about on this podcast, me in particular, week in, week out, day in, day out. Uh, I think it's finally happened. I think it's safe to say the next gen is now the now gen. And I know I tweeted these stats out, but just want to run through them here on the podcast quickly. Let's look, and the thing I'm studying, and it's part of this next-gen ATP 2.0 series is how have the rankings changed since 2015? Because a five-year span, that's a generation, right? The guy's born... I don't know, 90, 91 to 95. The next-gen crew, certainly, all the guys born 1996 or later, that was the first group that was qualified. Uh, to, that was the first year they created even that event in Milan. So, of course, those guys are uh, always going to be branded the next-gen crew. Uh, but if you look at it, they're not the next-gen. They're the now-gen. And let's just compare, again, these under-25 rankings, how they've changed since 2015. In 2015, there was not a single player under the age of 25 inside the top 10. Nishikori was number 8 at the time. He was 25 years old. Milos Raonic was, I want to say, number 14 at the time. And, you know, they had 7 top 30 players, but no one in the end of those rankings uh, under the age of 25 in the top 10. And that kind of, you know... That was kind of the foothold that the big three, big four generation had. Stan, and then, or excuse me, Murray, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, probably not in that order. For some of you listening, I apologize. Just a couple of thoughts in my head right now I'm trying to uh, get out here. The point being, those four guys, Stan Wawrinka, Marin Cilic, Kei Shikori, who's 25, Tomas Burdich, David Ferrer, the Songa, Simone, Gasquet trio as well. Uh, they were at the top of the men's tennis game for a long time. They had a foothold in the top 10 for about a decade, and we saw Generation Grigor, you know, the Grigor, Rayonich, Nishikori, those guys born in the 1990s. They would have good weeks. They would have good months. But the sustained consistency it takes to be a top 10 player, they weren't capable of producing. And you go further down the list. So in 2015, there were none. Uh, In 2016, there was one. It was Dominic Team, and he's probably the most special player, I think that's safe to say, as he's the only Grand Slam champion. This isn't hyperbole. Pretty easy to make that case. Uh, he's really the most significant guy to come out of that age group, the 90s to 95s, because he's the guy who consistently, you know, uh, I mentioned there wasn't a top 10 player, but at the end of 2015, Dominic Team was number 20. In the world. So he was ascending his rankings the same way, you know, Zverev and Murray and Djokovic and all those guys kind of hovered in the 30 to 20 range before making that jump into the top 10. Dominic Team took a little bit slower than we would have wanted at the majors, but his progression is the same progression that we see from so many top 10, top five 
you know, Grand Slam champion winning players throughout tennis's history. So it wasn't shocking, uh, you know, to see him ultimately merge with a Grand Slam, but he is the one guy in this group. You know, Milos Raonic ended 2016 at number three in the world. He was 25. I would argue he's the other guy in this group who's particularly special. And by the way, I think it was 2014 or 13 that Milos Raonic ended his season inside the top 10. But of that generation, the guys born 1990 to 1995, those are the only two. Rayonich and team who put together a top 10 season before the age of 25. Now, let's compare that to the current generation. By the way, Jack Sock was number 8 at age 25. That was the end of, I want to say, what, the 2017 season when he won the Paris Masters. Maybe that was the 2018 season. I think it was 2017 uh, where he ended his year as the number 8 player in the world. But you compare that to now. And again, just to quickly, zero top 10 players under 25 in 2015, one in 2016, two in 2017, it was Zverev and team, one in 2018, just Zverev, though team was number eight at 25 years old. But these past two years, four and five. And, you know, uh, four in the top 10 in 2019, five in the top 10 in 2020. And those guys, four of them are the same in both seasons. And, you know, the lack of adjustments in the rankings, the point protections in place, given it was a global pandemic this year, I think that affected and it did skew some of the things we saw in this year's year-end rankings. But... I think we can all agree. Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Rublev, and Berrettini, the five guys who have all put together top 10 seasons, they earned their places in that top 10. You know, last year there was the whole argument, well, Matteo Berrettini may be the worst number eight seed at, of all time at the year-end finals. I'm not going to dispute that, but I will say this. He won a hell of a lot of titles uh, during that 2019 season. Week in, week out, uh, on tour, month in, month out, across surfaces, and I believe he won a title on hardcourt grass and clay during that 2019 season. He earned his spot in the top 10. He made a semifinals of the 2019 U.S. Open, and just that's the sort of thing that the Sox, the Dimitrovs, the, the Kyrgioses of the world, they just weren't doing when they were under the age of 25. Even the David Goff Fans and Milos Raonic's, they maybe would throw in a quarterfinal appearance here or there, but not a semifinal, not to the degree, maybe Raonic would every once in a while, but the point is, you know, it's hard to get a top 10 ranking. It's really, really hard. This next-gen crew has had five guys do it, five guys currently in the top 10. That's reason number one, why they are the now generation. Reason number two, let's just look at, you know, how they've progressed elsewhere in the rankings. Top 30 players, there were seven in 2015 under the age of 25, six in 2016, a nadir of four in 2017. And by the way, those four guys were Zverev, Team Pui and Kyrgios. That's a rough time. That shows, you know, the, the Tomiches of the world, the Kyrgioses of the or excuse me, not the Kyrgios, because I suppose at this time he's fine, but the Tomiches of the world, the Ryan Harrisons of the world, they they just didn't pan out the way uh, we so many of us hoped that they would. And, you know, at that point, again, there are four top 30 players under the age of 25 in 2017. That's the nadir, right? That's the year Federer wins two, Nadal wins two. Uh, so they split the four slams, and we're thinking, okay, I guess this era is never going to end. Well, now there are 14 players under the age of 25 inside the top 30. So essentially half of the top 30 is under the age of 25. And I mean, you look at the guys now, the five we mentioned earlier, plus guys like Shapovalov, Hachinov, FAA, Christian Guerin, Alex Dimanuer, Borna Chorch, Kasparu, Taylor Fritz, Ugo Umber. 
that's an incredibly talented group of next-gen talent. And it's not just, again, you have the superstars at the top, right? You have the Medvedevs, the Tsitsipas, the Rublevs of the world. But you also have this depth about this class. And, you know, it's the... I don't know if Christian Guerin's ever going to be a top 10 player. I know he's going to be really, really good on clay for a really, really long time. Ditto, do I know if Alex Diemenauer is ultimately going to have enough size to win a Grand Slam? No, but I think he's going to be in the top 15 for as long as he's healthy for the rest of his career. The fight he shows week in, week out with how good he is on hard courts, how well he moves, like that guy is just going to be solid. Ditto, by the way, with a guy like Taylor Fritz or an Ugo Umber, or probably you can call that co- category, the Karen Hatchinov category, and it's like, oh yeah, we haven't even mentioned guys like, you know, FAA is a top 30 player, but he absolutely is someone with top 10 upside. Yannick Sinner, one of the 19 current guys under the age of 25 inside the top 50, that's the highest number, uh, and more than double the number we saw in 2015 when that number was 9. FAA is a guy who I think we all agree are the sin man. Those are guys with top 10 potential who have already worked their way into the top 50. And again, the change in 2017, that nadir where you have guys like Kranovich and, you know, Her- or I should, excuse me, Kyle Edmund and Borna George kind of hovering outside in the top 50. We're now at 19 players at the end of this 2020 season. And, you know, there are some guys, the, the Yuri Vesleys of the world, the Andre Kuznetsovs of the world. Are they going to be top 10 guys? No, probably not. Uh, but you look at some of these guys, you know, do I think Riley Opelka could spend some time in the top 100? I absolutely do, and he's at number 39 right now. The Sin Man's at number 37. That's not going to stay that way for long. Miomir Kesmenovic, number 44. He's a former world junior number one, and so it's just the hit rate of these next-gen guys is just higher than Generation Grigor. Simply put, it just is higher. And I mean, look, these numbers carry over as you go. This is where I think it starts to get diluted by the point protection. But in top one, in terms of top 100 guys under 25, there were 21 in 2015, 36 under the age of 25 in the top 100 at the end of last season, only 28 at the end of this season. But Take that with a grain of salt. Did uh, Similarly, there were 53 guys under the age of 25 in the top 200 in 2015. Now there are 62. Uh, that's two less than the number we had at the end of last season, but some of that, again, has to do with rankings protections. The point being, the next gen is here, folks. They've ascended the rankings. They, there are mul- going to be multiple looks, multiple players, different playing styles, all guys who I think are sure things. Like, of the, you know, Grigor, Rayonich, Gofen, Pablo Carreno-Busta, Dominic Team. You want to say those are the five best guys of the previous generation. I consider Nishikori Chilich a little bit older than that. Nishikori probably belongs in that group, but let's say those are your five, whatever. If you want to throw in Nishikori instead of Pablo Carreno-Busta, I'm not going to hold that against you. Let's look at the five we have in this generation. You know, if you want to say FAA and Sin are a little bit younger, that's fine. But of the next-gen cohort, Zverev, off-court issues, not to put them aside, but I'm just talking about as a tennis player right now. Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, uh, Rublev, and I mean one of Hachinov, Chorich, whomever it may be. Shapovalov's a guy I haven't really talked about at all. They're going to win Grand Slams. 
they're going to win multiple Grand Slams. And yeah, part of that is just by the fact that the big three of Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer, they are finally starting to age out, and there are just more opportunities. But it's also just the week-in, week-out success. I mean, 12 of this next-gen crew has now have now made at least one uh, quarterfinal at a Grand Slam, and that's just a significantly higher number than Generation Grigor at their this corresponding point in their careers. Like, yeah, there was the random Jersey Janowitz run, but like he didn't go anywhere. And so we just saw so many players maybe have one slam runs or have like a really good month, but then ultimately fizzle out. And I just think if you look at the way the rankings have changed over these past five, six seasons, really since 2015, that's just not going to be the case for this next gen. Uh, And that is where, you know, that is today's, I suppose, statistical breakdown. Just a little bit of fun again as we look at the changes, the trends occurring in tennis as we look towards another season of play. But that will do it for today's mini break podcast. Again, if you have missed any of our content, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, of course, as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code Cracked15. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and DraftKings and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks? That's the break. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.